For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Millennial Money. Today, Graham can't be with us, but don't worry, who have the other 75%? Here to talk about the disaster that's going on in the stock market, the weird divergence between Bitcoin and Ethereum, Will real estate crash now that it's possible interest rates will actually go up sooner? And I don't know, whatever else the heck comes up. I got a fresh cup of coffee. It's like 6 something p.m., which is the perfect time to have more coffee. Jeremy, what is happening out there? Why is it that some stocks like Apple keep going to the moon? Andre's hand is in front of the camera and a lot of other stocks are down like 30 or 40 percent or more. Well, first off, Kevin, I just want to say. Uh, top of the morning, okay? Uh, hot chocolate. <laughs> hot chocolate. So it, it, it's insane. It's insane. You know, Apple continues to climb. It seems like all money wants to hide out in Apple stock. It's like, how, how long can this go for? Small caps. Where is the bottom for small caps? No one knows. It just I mean, these stocks just continue to get pounded. I understand these aren't the ones that's talked about really on mainstream financial uh, media. You know, they're, they're caught up in Apple, Microsoft, Google. Tesla, NVIDIA, but my gosh, the small caps just continue to get devastated. I'm looking at stock after stock after stock hitting new 52-week low. I looked on Wall Street Journal, something like 254 stocks today hit 52-week low, and there were several stocks I saw that weren't even on that list that did hit 52-week low, so I think it's actually a bigger number than that. So we have this divergence between money hiding out in Apple and Microsoft and a few of the other big tech, and everything that's not those is, is been getting hammered, especially small caps. Even PayPal, if you're looking for a large cap that's been hit hard, PayPal just hit a new 52-week low literally today. And so I'm looking, Kevin, and I am going to, you know, if these babies keep dropping, I'm going to end up going all in the market in December, which is not something I usually do in terms of all my stock market money. But um, it's just, man, I, I, you know, how, how low can it go? I think there's tax loss harvesting going on in a massive way. Probably will continue for the next several weeks. But, you know, are you doing any buying out there, Kevin? Are you still you still feel comfortable on the sideline? You think we got a lot more to go or or what are you feeling? Yeah, I've got a pretty big cash position. I'm still sitting on it. Did my first tiny little nibble buy uh, today. Tiny, though. I mean, we're talking about like around 1% of cash. So I've got like 99 of those nibbles left to do. And it wasn't really because I saw any kind of special pricing. Uh, I, I still haven't seen super excitement to where I'm like, oh, my gosh, Disney's at a level where it's like I got to have it or or, uh, you know, PayPal's at a level where like I got to have it. Uh, not quite there yet. But we're getting close. I mean, look at like even even on the topic of fintech, since you brought up PayPal, look at Square. I mean, that was a dream when that thing hit like 190 uh, on May 12th. Volatility is higher now than it was in May. We hit like 206 today in Square. So, yeah, some of these stocks are getting pretty dang low. But one thing that does make me nervous is that. So many of the smaller caps, and I really want to hear your opinion on this and Andre's opinion on this. So many of the smaller caps, the ones that aren't in the big indices, it feels like they're just like, okay, here's where I am. 
this is where penny stock definition is. How quickly can I get there? That's what it feels like. And it's, it's horrible, right? It, it feels like money is just concentrating into a few really popular stocks. Everything else is burning to the freaking ground. And it got me thinking like, you know, nobody IPOs as a penny stock. Is this the kind of season when penny stocks are made, the, the you know, hot stocks of the day, fundamentals or not, the hot stocks of the day are the ones that survive and everything else just goes down in flames. I don't know. I'm a little nervous did, about it. Did you guys see the healthcare sector at all? Um, Like the Moderna, like Pfizer? Like G all Moderna. year down like 36%? Or do you mean like Pfizer or Moderna? <laughs> no, I mean like Moderna has been taking off like insane. My Pfizer has been doing really well too, but Moderna has been insane. Why is it that Moderna is taking off more than so much more than Pfizer? Oh, uh, Kevin, I, I don't know if you want to speak to that. I own Pfizer stock, so I can't. I don't know. Me too. Moderna, I don't know as well. Yeah, I, so. I don't have either. I would say that uh, for whatever reason, uh, Moderna has been the, the trader choice stock of the two. Mm. Uh, I, th I wonder if it's because they've never had a uh, real, like, I, I don't, I, I might be wrong about this. I don't believe that Moderna has actually had, and again, I could be wrong about this. Please correct me if I'm wrong. I don't believe that Moderna has had a successful drug uh, other than now their COVID vaccine, that they've been working on mRNA technology for a very long period of time. There is a lot of promise for mRNA drugs going forward. And, and this vaccine is sort of like the first hoorah of like, oh my gosh, here's kind of like your new entrant into this space. And I think that's kind of something that's making Moderna very sexy and appeal to, to people who are like, that's it. This is like the new frontier where Pfizer still maybe represents a little bit of the old guard. So I don't, I don't know that fundamentally there's a big reason. I think it's more of like that sex appeal, that newness, that, uh, and then of course the momentum that goes along with that. Yeah, sense. and, and yeah. just in in Pfizer partners with their shots, so they partner with another company. So they only make yeah, so they only make part of the money. Whereas I once again, I don't want to speak for Moderna. Maybe Moderna is like a pure play. People are like this is the purest play you can be in. So it's a good point. But uh, yeah, yeah, Kevin. I mean, it's just I mean, it's vicious. I mean, you look at le lemonade under fifty dollars a share today. You know, that's one of yep. those stocks that. Oh my gosh, such an exciting future for lemonade. You know, that stock peaked out at $188 this year. Such, you know, when does, when does lemonade stop growing? I don't know, like a hundred years from now, maybe such a disruptive com company in such a big industry, but no one wants a piece of it right now. And no. the, the thing is the, the losses can get bigger, right? Because there's more tax. We still got a whole month of tax loss harvesting. And on top of that, you, I think you're going to get a lot of margin calls going on because I know there's got to be some folks out there that are probably getting margin calls and that just breeds more selling and you get this, oh, it's an avalanche in the wrong direction. And um, it's unfortunate, but, you know, this is, I, I think it's a huge mistake to not be a buyer of a lot of the small caps, not all of them, I want to be clear, not all small caps, but I think it's a mistake to not be a buyer at least of some of the small caps during the month of December because I feel like a lot of these prices Although we could go lower, I think just a lot of them are going to get to such levels that it's just like shooting fish in a barrel for many of them. How much I are you guys down today, if I could ask? Uh, what's that, uh, Andre? How much are how much are you guys' portfolios down today? Are you down or are you red or green today? I, I was red hundreds of thousands of dollars today, at least two hundred. Oh, I, I don't know if it's even been three hundred percent wise, uh, though. I don't mean like value wise. Oh, I can't I can't uh, divulge that information. But uh, what? Go on. <laughs> 
No, because then you can work back, back, uh, backwards on the math on that. <laughs> on the for that. Uh, I, <laughs> All right. I usually don't look. My Weeble's down 136 today, and I'll quickly just pull up JP if face ID here works. Um, usually I don't look. I think it's bad for psychology. Um, my JP Morgan's up 66,000. Oh, that's crazy. So that one's actually Whoa. up. Wow. Uh, what that's my bigger one. That's my... probably because Tesla ended positive. And my Robinhood's down about 35K today. So, okay. okay. Right. But, so, so te Tesla pulled through for the JP Morgan, uh, Kevin, because that's where you got your, your big dog shares for. for yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's where all my Tesla is. Yep. Oh, yeah. I don't want to get too far off subject, but have you ever thought about splitting your, because you know your money's only insured in one account up to 250000 And I mean, Granted, JP Morgan's not going out of business, but have you ever thought about splitting your money into like 250 here, 250 here, and just make a ton of different accounts? Or has you ever even thought about that? I've actually been thinking about literally doing the opposite. <laughs> Mostly, um, what, what you're saying, I think, is is wise for security purposes, but uh, I, um, I'm less worried about that and I'm more interested in the opportunities that I might get afforded if I had more money over at JPM. So I'm considering collapsing my Robinhood and uh, Weeble into Robin or into uh, into JP Morgan, uh, and then I'll get a, a really big fat line. Yeah, you know, if I could if I could sit around with a, a twenty million dollar checkbook uh, that like a portfolio line of credit or something like that, you know, I, I could do some damage with that. I hope. <laughs> yeah, no, I can understand that. And I think it's it's interesting because you're looking at the market from a little more of a perspective of you're waiting for a lot of these, I feel like, large caps or mid caps to fall, right? Whereas I'm kind of looking at it and I'm seeing a ton of small caps fall. And so the, that's just really exciting me. But it feels like I, I know you specifically mentioned Disney. You know, what, what's kind of on your shopping list of those, those top, mm. let's say, five stocks that you're like, man, I wish this one would fall, this one would fall 10, 15 percent and I would be buying? Yeah, probably like – what I'd feel most comfortable buying would be uh, discounts on things like Tesla, Affirm, NVIDIA, uh, Matterport, Enphase, Google. These have been running like crazy. You know, Disney, Cloudflare for internet security. Love to do that. But I will say I am in, in the uh, smaller to mid cap range. I'm looking for not necessarily them to fall more. I'm looking for a bottom. So I'm looking. So in your world, I'm looking for a bottom in uh, EXPI real estate, looking for a bottom and reversal in Redfin, looking for a bottom in shift technologies, the used car plays, uh, potentially even as a recovery play, CCL and uh, Dave & Buster's, but I'm worried about their debt, so I have to balance that out, but looking for a bottom there. And then uh, I don't know when, I'm sure they will at some point here, when, um, of course, PayPal, looking for a bottom there, but I don't know when InsureTech's gonna hit a bottom. I got really spooked by InsureTech, so like Lemonade and, and Hippo and that, because Lemonade, uh, they, you know, they were last year when they were IPOing, they're like, oh, we're, you know, we're so good. We, we've got all like all these reinsurance contracts that are leading us to profit, you know, and all the formulas, we can write them all out or whatever. But basically, uh, their reinsurance contracts got renegotiated in what appear to be much less desirable terms where they're paying a higher premium and taking on more risk. And it's like, hmm, that was one of your competitive advantages was relying on reinsurance and the effectiveness of their marketing dollars. And I've seen both of those decline, effectiveness of marketing go down and their, their power in negotiating reinsurance. So InsureTech makes me a little nervous, though, yeah, I agree with you, like 50 bucks compared to where it was after that Motley Fool pump. Whew, 
know, to yeah. lemonade has gone a long way down. <laughs> I don't yeah. have any insure tech right now, by the way. Okay. Yeah. And lemonade's an exciting stock. I mean, you know, as far as the long term term story, but I mean, that one's not going to be profitable. I got off the conference call last night. I got a chance to listen to it. They're not going to be profitable for at least three years at best, uh, but probably yeah, looking more. more like five, six years before they ever even can think about making a profit. They're going to be a money loser for a long time. They do have a, yeah. a ton of cash in the balance sheet. That's the good news. So they should be able to get through these losses. But and they made it clear on the conference call. I, I do think that's one of the more honest management teams out there in terms of just giving it to you straight. They even said on the conference call, they're like, you know, pr profitability is not in our, our future anytime soon. And that's not what our objective is. It's all about getting more customers. And um, and when you think about it, the insurance industry, it's powerful when you get a customer. Right. Because that's so much lifetime value you get there. And then you can sell them this policy. And with lemonade they're getting at all these different things but in terms of stock price i mean that's that is one of those stocks that i'm looking at and i'm like it, it doesn't really have to go up anytime in the next two three years there's some of these stocks that i think are going to be huge bounce back plays but that one when you got these massive losses a lot of folks are like let me wait a couple of years when they start when they flip it and then they start getting closer and closer to profitability and they go on this big run kind of like square did many years ago i pulled up square stock recently and uh, square in 2016 was under a $10 stock, Square stock, SQ. Now it's obviously you know over $200 a, a share, but that was when 2015, 16, that's when they were at peak losses. And as they lost less and less money and still kept up nice revenue growth, the stock just started to be a beast over time, right? And um, so that's, that's the thing to keep in mind with some of these long-term growth companies, they can just get devastated for quite a while. Eventually the sun comes out and it shines. And for a company like Lemonade, it probably will. But you got to be prepared to be down on that position or not make any money for potentially years. And including Tesla. Mm. Tesla didn't do anything for, what, five, six years? So I just think that's some food for thought. Uh, Andre, what's your two cents on that? I wish I could contribute more to the stock conversation, but I'm a boring index fund investor. So I'm just pouring in $1,000 a day into VTI, and I just don't care. Today, the stock portfolio I have is down, what, 1.5%? And I think okay. the stock market was down like 2%. So I feel like I've accomplished <laughs> something. I've beat the market <laughs> by uh, yeah. 25%. Nice. Well, yeah. That, and it, it, can you guys still hear me and see me? I'm on my phone and my yeah. internet's like horrible today. You're good. You guys are like cutting out periodically. You're no, good. No, Sweet. It's good. Okay, but yeah. Andre, no, I'm, I'm learning a lot. It's awesome. I just, I just like don't like timing the market and I just... I don't know, with, with so many things up in the air with Omnicrom, it's just like, who knows what's going to happen with this stuff. So I don't know, you guys are really brave to time, time the market. I'm just not somebody that does that. Yeah, well, in terms of, um, I don't know if it's necessarily time the market because I'm always a pretty much a buyer of stocks. It's just different stocks. Like if you remember this time last year, uh, the stocks, there was two stocks I was buying, putting a ton of money into JP Morgan and, and obviously WBA. And those are really, really boring stocks, to be honest. But just last time at this year, there's just these, the small caps were not the play, right? Everybody was already piling into those. And, um, you know, very shortly after they came crumbling down. Now I feel like we're in a complete opposite situation where the small caps are the play. And I think if you're hiding out money in boring stocks that I just don't think that's the play. I don't think that's where the big money is going to be made. Um, sure, you can go definitely go down more in these positions, especially as more tax loss harvesting comes in. But I just don't think that's the opportunity. And, you know, Andre, if you can just kind of speak to 
you know, I know with Bitcoin, uh, we were talking about potentially being down in a position for several years. Bitcoin is one of those that if you bought that in, you know, 2017, 2018, you had to wait several years to get any gains on that. And, um, you know, do you think that's any at all a realistic possibility? Do you think Bitcoin just goes up year after year after year for a while? Well, well, that's what I'm afraid of with tech stocks. So, like, I, I would love to own more tech um, just because I'm, I'm so uh, just un- underperforming in terms of, like, tech and I'd love to have more but I just feel like since the pandemic started tech has taken off so much and it just seems so frothy to me and I don't know I I know a lot of people disagree with me and they say like tech is if anything undervalued but I don't know I, I I feel like it's it's grown so much since the pandemic started and I don't know if we're like in some cyclical part of, of the economy where in a few years, maybe when this thing cools off and supply chain issues resolve and all, all these other things, maybe, maybe, maybe it'll cool off and it'll go back down to reality. And at that point, I'd love to own things like, you know, Google and Tesla and all these other ones. But I've just, I just, I feel like they've gotten away from me so much that I just don't even bother with them. So I'm not trying to chase them. I, I don't know if there's any other people like me who have just like always wanted to own tech, but I've just, since I've been a conservative investor, since I've started, I've just kind of shied away from them. And so index funds have worked really well for me, but I don't know. What do you guys think? Do you think tech is undervalued or overvalued? I mean, the pandemic just really kicked everything off so much. Yeah. Andre, if I can just poke back before we get into that point, I just want to point this out because this is the same exact thing people a lot of times will say about Bitcoin. They're like, oh, it's so high now. It's 57,000. It was 3,000 18, 20 months ago. And so, um, I think that's just maybe a different market mentalities where you might look at Bitcoin at 57,000. You're like, this is a deal. This is going to this price. And somebody else looks at it and like, dude, that's so high. It's over a trillion dollars. No, I, I don't think Bitcoin's a deal right now, to be honest. Like I, I, I'm waiting for a 30 to 50% drop from the all time high. Like I'm not buying unless it's close to close to thirties. Like if I see thirties, then I'm buying heavy. But until then I, I mean, I, I feel like I've already built up a pretty substantial position. So for now, I'm just dollar cost averaging. And I'm glad I, I'm focusing more on Ethereum because I don't know if you guys know, noticed, but Ethereum's just like destroying it. <laughs> it is indeed. Uh, Kevin, what, 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 hey, what's your opinion? Uh, Andre asked about kind of big tech and, and valuations there. And then also, uh, what, do, what do you think about uh, Mr. Powell today and what he had to say? <laughs> yeah. Well, a lot of things here. So uh, I, I guess... First, a uh, quick note just on Lemonade. Uh, if you're going to invest in Lemonade, know you're, you're betting on the millennial, right? You're betting on the millennial uh, getting more insurance policies in the future. That's, that's Lemonade's game, right? Is, hey, let's get pet insurance for the millennials starting families and, and whatever, starting out. Then let's sell them renter's insurance. Then let's get them car insurance, except they're only doing it in like two states right now. Sure, they got Metro Mile, but they're barely doing you know, states either. Uh, they're licensed in a lot more. I think they're licensed in like 48, but they're not do- servicing those. Uh, it, and so you're betting that eventually millennials are going to get into more profitable forms of insurance for lemonade, like renters, like rent, like not rental, but landlord insurance, right? Like I can't, I can't take all of my 25 policies, let's say, and go over to lemonade because they just don't do that yet. Kind of sucks. Mm-hmm. Hippo does that, but not lemonade yet. So I just want to make that little note about lemonade. So I think, uh, you know, it's it's a very long term bet if you're going to bet on lemonade, uh, and I've always said that. But I definitely did not think that InsureTech would blow up the way it did until we started seeing some of the U turns in in the reinsurance space. So watch that reinsurance. On um, Andre's comments about uh, 
just wanting to buy VTI. Dude, holdings. Microsoft, Apple, Alphabet, Amazon, Tesla, Facebook, NVIDIA. Those are your top seven stocks in VTI. Technology is like 28% of that. If, if you're dumping into VTI, you're throwing money into these tech stocks. You're just diluting uh, the money that's going into these quality companies with like cigarette companies and oil companies and all this <laughs> other crap that I feel like you could weed out. So now don't get me wrong. I don't want to ever come across as saying it's bad to invest in VTI or VAO. They've done great. They've outperformed almost, actually they have. They have outperformed every single one of Kathy Wood's funds this year. So you can't argue the performance of the S&P. The S&P has been absolutely killer. But I don't know that I would be so uh, uh, or too terribly fearful of big tech, especially if we get some sort of pullback. I agree kind of like with your Bitcoin thesis, Andre, like, I don't know how enthused are we to really go heavy on Bitcoin at these levels? Like, hey, where's where's like the real fear? And last little point, and then go back to, to you guys here. Uh, that's where right now the big fear is what Jeremy's saying. The big fear right now is at like fintechs and, and small caps that are just getting obliterated. But you just have to be careful of what what are the value traps and what are the things that are just going to become penny stocks like beach bodies a penny stock right uh so i don't i don't, I don't know how, how do you avoid those holes i think that's the big question and that's something that andre doesn't actually have to worry about though right you don't have to worry about those because like okay who cares one stock goes bankrupt in vti dude you got 4124 stocks in vti <laughs> yeah and that's crazy, Andre. I didn't, I didn't know you liked to own uh, cigarette companies and oil companies. That's good for you, Andre. Congratulations, <laughs> on Don't get me canceled, Jeremy. <laughs> oh gosh, no. But in all seriousness, Kevin, you made a good point there. You know uh, about the the you know big tech really consisting of a lot of that, and I think that's where a lot of people kind of think like Andre, in, in my opinion, where they're, they're, they're putting money in an index fund or whatever, and they're putting money, putting money, but all along, much of that money's end up being concentrated in Apple, Microsoft, and, and a few of the other big dogs, right? And just continues to kind of well, push I, up them. Yeah, no, I don't know if it's fair to say it's, it's so heavily concentrated in tech. I mean, it, it is a big part of it, mm -hmm. but it's not the majority part. And, and, I, and I just love the fact that the maintenance on it is so low. I don't have to check it every day. And I don't check my portfolio yep. every day. And I guess it just caters to the lifestyle that I have. And I just try not to stress myself about money and investing. And I'm, I'm happy to know that I'm going to beat 99% of people doing it pretty much automated. And I don't have to pay attention to most of it. That's, that's fine with me. Like, that's fine with me. Yeah. And, and that's fair play there, Andre, because you're you're a little more of an aggressive investor when it comes to, uh, you know, like cryptos, right? Like you'll invest in some some cryptos that you think have huge potential and things like that. That's kind of where you like to play, correct? Yeah, it's, it's interesting because like I, I if anything, I tend to diversify in risk rather than within asset. So I feel diversified within the stock market, but I don't feel diversified enough in my risk tolerance which is why I'm so big in crypto because I feel like it exposes me to those fast growth assets that, you know, I don't have to do with stocks. So I'll just let the stock market do its thing. And I feel like with crypto, it ex exposes me to that high risk, high growth that I I'm per perfectly okay with. Huh? And, and because you? I got in so early, it's, I mean, it, it, Bitcoin has to drop below $10,000 at this point for me to lose money. 
Yeah. So. Now, are you looking because it seems like you, you've built out a lot of index fund money, a lot of crypto money. Are you looking to buy, buy more real estate? Because I believe you only have one real estate property. So would you like to get more in real estate in 22? And if so, why or if not, why? I do. And it's interesting. I actually found a subreddit recently. Uh, I think it's called um, <laughs> it's bad, real estate bad. bubble or something like that. It was, it was uh, a group of people that just expect <laughs> that real estate is going to burst. All right, I kicked Andre. Uh, he'll he'll get the message. That I one. It's sorry. So funny. I'm it's sorry. So funny. It's not gonna work. Okay. Uh, well, so he'll, he'll be right back. Andre will be right back. I think, I want to know. Uh, you know, uh, Jeremy, how how do we avoid the pitfalls in in the value stocks? Uh, so you know, we'll come back to the real estate when Andre comes back in. Yeah. What? How do you avoid the pitfalls? How do you know that? Uh, you know, and I'm not just I'm not just saying this. To, welcome back, Andre. We'll come right back to the real estate. Um, how do you know that? And I'm not saying this to be mean or whatever. I'm just curious. Yep. How do you know that Tattoo Chef doesn't become a penny stock? Right. How do you know that Corsair, which I don't believe it will. I'm not suggesting that. I'm just saying, like, what are you looking at that's saying, OK, maybe Beachbody deserves to be a penny stock. But why why not Tattoo Chef? Why not Corsair? Uh, you know, w whatever. Like, what what do you look at? in the sea of crisis mode and then we'll come back and try andre's connection again <laughs> yeah i mean a lot of times it's just the valuation gets so insane that um you know it just doesn't make sense anymore and it it, it has to go up <laughs> essentially right i mean corsair you're looking at a corsair could push i mean if this baby keeps dropping it could be at a, at a price to sales ratio of one or maybe even under one right where it's just like it's insane it's like for that company with that much innovation that many products that many relationships with companies uh, that many products that are needs-based products for a lot of folks out there, right? It's just, it's just, you know, it gets down to silly levels. Um, you know, the chef is, is, uh, I think a little bit of a different stock. I feel like that's more of like a cult stock, I would call it. Um, and so cult stocks trade a little bit different, but when you have that much growth, I mean, they disappointed in the last quarter and it was still what 43, 44% growth. So that's just a massive growth engine that should continue to grow for years to go in the future. So it's not to say they can't fall more. It's always possible. It's just, I think there's a lot of there's so much selling already that you start to get to this place where there's only potential upside. Right. We're not mm. probably quite there, but we're getting close on the upside. The same exact thing happens. Right. When all these stocks were pumping in January, February. I mean, a lot of us were looking at these stocks and like, this is ridiculous. Like, you know, this is insane. Like these stocks have to come down. They have to yeah. come down. And then eventually they come down. You just don't know exactly when it's going to happen and exactly how much. Right. But that's where you just start to get to some insane values. So I think it comes back to the fundamentals, understanding these companies on a, on a high enough level that you can say this, this valuation is just silly being down at these levels. Right. And each so, company is valuable. I, I got to interrupt, though. Yeah. What, what makes Tattooed Chef different from uh, a Wish.com, a Clover, a Clever, a Canoe? Uh, you yeah. know, a workhorse, so many, even, even a toast, you know, that the toast IPO, a new egg. I mean, a lot of these companies, some of the companies are newer and speculative, but a lot of them are legit companies. I mean, 23 and me, uh, again, Beachbody, uh, you know, even Voyager digitals down back to $14 right now. Like what, what different, like, at what point do you just say like, Hey, yeah, some of these are going to come back up, 
But if I made a pie, which I've, I've considered making, I've considered making a pie and just throwing in that pie all the beat down stuff right now, everything that's beat down, and then just go, here's three mil into it. And, yeah. and if that like three X's next year, which it could on this rebound, great. But what if half of them go bankrupt? <laughs> you know, That's a problem. A hundred percent. You bring up a great point. And I think that's why it's really a stock picker's market. It's like, which ones deserve to be down here and which ones don't. Right. And I can't speak to all those because I don't track all those stocks. Sure, but if sure. you look at something like a wish, you know, yeah. is wish even going to grow revenues next year or are they going to be in decline? And I think that's a real, real thought. Right. And, and, I don't know. You know, I think there's a decent probability they could actually have de revenues decline. So if you have revenues declining and you're losing a fortune, that's like the worst thing you could ever do as a public company. Right. Like that means your, your stocks just devastated. Um, I mean, sure, if Tattoo Chef stop growing revenue next year and they're losing money, that would be a disaster. Right. <laughs> Let's hope that doesn't happen. I don't think that's even remotely a possibility. Um, so I think you really have to go stock by stock and really view it as like, how much growth does this company have? How many years can they grow into the future? I think at the end of the day, when you're in any of these type of falls, whether it's a small cap fall, large cap, whatever, you look for the stocks that you're extremely confident in. They're going to grow at a substantial rate for the next five, 10 years, just year after year after year, put up that number, put up that number. And if you aren't confident in that, then it's not, doesn't make sense to touch it, even if the stock is down a lot. Uh, if you are confident that that company is going to grow for years and years to go in the future, then I think it's just uh, it's shooting fish in a barrel. But okay. it's, you got to make sure you're shooting the right fish. I guess that's what you can say. And so what, what I want to always your top top five to ten right now, if you could rattle them off, and then let's hit Andre's real estate. Yeah, I think uh, obviously I'm looking at a three to five year time horizon. I think Tattoo Chef. I think Honest HNST. I think uh, Corsair Honest. right now. Yeah, I think if you're looking for a little bigger risk, Voyager Digital, uh, that one has probably some of the biggest upside, I think, um, you know, as long as we don't go into a multi-year bear market in crypto. And, oh man, let me think. I, I almost want to throw SDC Smile Direct Club in there, but that one's a huge risk. That one's down to $2. And that gets into that group of stocks where their fundamentals are kind of broken, which Smile Direct Club fundamentals are ugly right now. They're, they're, they're losing money hand over fist. But as long as they can get on that right trajectory and get the cash flow somewhat going again, in terms of not such a negative number, there's no doubt that stock could go to five to 10 in a snap of fingers. So I think that's just one of those that's very high risk, um, also very, very, very high reward. So, but um, yeah, so, so Andre, I, I don't know if you can, can talk to us here. Uh, you, you were can talking you about- Can you see me? Can you hear me? Yes, it's very, very delayed. But uh, so frustrating. My upload speed right now is like two megabytes a second, and my download speed is like 400. It doesn't make sense. We can sense. hear you. Yeah. Uh, so so talk to us me. about real estate. Gosh. Yeah. Did you guys? Okay. So anyway, the, the Jerome Powell thing. So now that he got reelected the second term, uh, he's like, guys, we have to redefine <laughs> transitory. Never mind, right? So I don't know. A lot of people are expecting. Go ahead. No, I was going to say, uh, Kevin, no, you bring up a great point, Andre. Uh, you, uh, you know, you're just kind of cutting in and out. So I apologize. But um, were you going to make a real estate point or were you asking for Kevin's opinion on um, the j Powell stuff? Because, Kevin, you, you never covered uh, your, your two cents as far as uh, Powell. Yeah. Well, no, the, the, the interest rate stuff is 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 
interesting, pun intended, because I don't think interest rates will go up higher than, what is it, 100 basis points, 1%. So if the average right now is 3%, there is no way that it'll go even to 4%, in my opinion. I don't know about you guys, but if that's the case, if, if as most as we'll see is like a 1% increase, that's a 10% correction in price. That is not a crash. Like I, I don't think a crash is coming in real estate. So to answer the original question, I would love to own more real estate. Uh, I just haven't had time to find a good wedge deal like Kevin, who's a, who's a genius real estate guy. But oh. I, just, I, I don't know what, what to do or what to look for. But I think now is a better time to buy than probably next year. I think next year inflation is going to be higher than we expect. And if Jerome tries to cool it off, I just don't see it being raised more than, you know, to 4%. Otherwise, it risks destabilizing the economy. I don't know about you guys. Okay. I'm buying. I mean, well, I, I would if I could find a good deal. I've uh, I've written a few offers. I got, I got a little frustrated. I was trying to buy some multifamily. And uh, a lot of multifamily is very, very picked over. Uh, there are definitely some larger multifamily funds that are just like YOLOing it into uh, real estate. But uh, I'm not a big uh, YOLO kind of fan when it comes to real estate. I, I, love, uh, I love getting me that deal. So I, I completely agree with you, Andre. What, what about you, uh, Jeremy? Well, um, yeah. So, I mean, my two cents on this is, uh, you know, I, I understand, you know, uh, Andre's uh, talking about the wedge deal and those sorts of things. But I just think it's interesting the way real estate's viewed because, I mean, the way you view a lot of folks view the stock market, right? You're not really trying to time it out. You're just putting in a certain amount of money each each month or whatever. Real estate is almost the, the most guaranteed way of investing, right? Is what it's seen as more guaranteed than the stock market, more guaranteed than crypto, right? You buy into a growing city, like high probability you're going to make a lot of money over the next 10 years. So my thought about that is, is like, why do you have to find the perfect deal? Like, you know, why do, why do we have to view it from that context and not just say, hey, this is, a, this is a good property. This is what it's trading at. Maybe I can try to negotiate a little bit of money off. If not, that's fine. I buy it. I love this area. I think it's going to appreciate over the next 10, 15, 20 years. Why does it have to be that perfect deal when it comes to real estate? Because like I said, people don't really view for the most part buying into Bitcoin is that I got to get the perfect deal. Uh, most people don't view you know stocks as like that it's like hey i'm gonna put a thousand dollars a week or five hundred dollars a week into the index fund or something like that so why do we need to do it with real estate well i think i think the difference is you can't dollar cost average into real estate so people try to time real estate more because it's like it's like you know the equivalent of a lump sum investing in the stock market so it's like you know in the stock market you either lump sum or dca but in real estate you have to lump sum in a way I mean, I guess you could DCA by getting a 20% or 3% loan, uh, you know, a down payment, and then you sort of DCA, but people don't look at it like that. They look at it like, you know, here's what the price is. This is what I'm buying. So they look at the fixed price of the asset itself. And so I think yeah, I that's mean, why people prime it. You could almost DCA, right? Like, let's say, um, you know, you're, let's say you have, I don't know, $300,000 you're looking to put into real estate. You could always do, you know, 20% down on a, a property that's 500k and then another one that's 500k and another one is 500k just in case the, the homes in that 
that area dropped in price or something like that over the next year. So you could actually approach it like that. I know people don't, but I mean, somebody like yourself, you could easily do that if you're afraid like, well, prices could drop or something like that. Yeah. I'm just talking about mostly for like normal people. I don't, I don't think most normal people would just, you know, dollar cost average in the multiple yeah. houses. <laughs> mm, I know. Evan, you do that. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but I'm not normal. Yeah. <laughs> He's got red hair. Yeah, yeah, there's nothing normal about me. I'm I'm a crazy uh, real estate crypto stock clown boy. Uh, but yeah, look. Uh, all right. I mean, okay. So so Andre, you find a good deal, you'll buy. Jeremy, I think you're you're. I I don't know how enthused you are about real estate. Uh, in general, I think you're looking for those big deals right now in stocks, which I want to talk more about. But I do want to respond to the thought on real estate. Uh, I, I think no matter what happens with rates over uh, the near term, which would be one to two years, I think we're on a long run, a downtrend of a direction in real estate interest rates. We will follow the footsteps of Japan and Europe to some degree, maybe less of a, lesser of a degree. I'm not suggesting we're going to have a contracting economy like Japan, but I do think we're going to see lower rates over this next decade. Like we will come out of this decade, barring some kind of crazy recession or whatever, uh, towards the end of it. We'll, we'll come out of it with, with potentially near zero rates. That is going to be unbelievable for real estate. Now, the uh, the the thing that Jeremy mentioned that's so important is you got to buy in areas where the population is growing uh, in, and ideally a lower poverty rate. Right. Because if you're buying in areas that are becoming desolate or people are leaving, uh, then that's a risk factor in real estate. There's also a climate change risk. Uh, and there's also a risk, uh, you know, if you're too close to maybe 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 you're too close to the water, maybe you're in an area uh, that, that has other potential risks, you know, fire risks, whatever. But, uh, hey, there's always insurance for these things. Uh, but uh, I think more importantly, investing in real estate in good quality areas over the next decade is uh, a great idea. It, why buy wedge deals? Because it's a cheap and easy way to increase your net worth. If I put 150 grand down and I can pull 100 grand of extra equity out of it, uh, that's that's a very, very nice, essentially guaranteed return on my money. I can't get that in stocks. Uh, that's what I like about real estate so much. It comes down, though, to identifying deals, right? That And, and those those aren't always available. Uh, so that's that's one of the reasons I really like it. For me, it's the only way I can guarantee a net worth bump that the day I bought it, I know it's worth more. I, yeah, I can't get that in stocks. Kevin, when you talk about um, interest rates going to zero like Japan, are you citing mostly um, Kathy Wood's reason for deflation with the AI costs coming mm. down, with uh, creative destruction and the whole cyclical inflation thing? Uh, it's a really good. Uh, it, well, so uh, look, I completely agree with what Kathy says regarding deflation. Uh, I think that might be a, a justification for that. I'm more broadly, though, looking at what whatever the reason is, the trend of uh, the macro trend of interest rates in democratic uh, countries, uh, democratic first world developed countries is straight down. That is your long term macro trend. So whether you use Japan as an example, you use European Union as an example, or you use America as an example, the reason almost, sure, Kathy can come up with all the different reasons. And I agree with many of her rationales. Uh, but I, I think you just look at that long run trend. It, it doesn't make sense for us to all of a sudden 
see something happen like what's happening in Turkey, where, uh, you know, in one day their currency becomes worth 15 percent less to the dollar uh, and, and you're fighting hyperinflation around 20 percent over there or 10 percent like you are in Brazil. These are still more developing countries with uh, somewhat authoritarian governments uh, and uh, markets like the stability, ironically, of gridlock a lot more. <laughs> and so gridlock actually leads to capital innovation, uh, dancing around the laws that we have or don't have, uh, and, and interest rates trend down over time. Uh, so um, that's, I guess it'd be a combination of both, Andre. <laughs> that's fair. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hmm. Yeah, yeah uh, man, I, I saw something recently. They were comparing, you know, the market cap sizes of the European banks versus the uh, uh, American banks over the past 10 years. I saw a chart of this last night and I was like, holy smokes, man, European banks are not in a great place, let's put it that way. The American banks have outperformed them so substantially. It's, it's, it's insane. And I don't know how much of that is dependent upon the market or how much is just the fact that, uh, you know, rates are, are what they are in Europe. So um, well, I heard, also, you know, a friend. Of, go ahead. See. Sorry, I was just going to say also we have a stronger currency, obviously, than the rest of the world. Yeah, it's true. And I, I was uh, I had a friend visiting uh, over the weekend on Saturday and he lives in Berlin, Germany. And he says that a lot of the European banks won't even lend money if you're trying to buy a property in Germany. I was like, what? They won't even lend you any money. He's like, no, you got to be like 100 percent cash buyer or or get a loan from something else. I was like, what? So I'm going to have to look into that more. I doubt he's lying. Yeah, about that. that doesn't but, make sense. I, I haven't heard no. that. That's interesting to me. That, that, and that's what I, I kind of pushed him on. I'm like, why, why would they do that? And he's like, the, the risk is just not there um, or the reward's not there for them or something like that. And I was like, I, I don't know. So I'm going to have to look more into that. That's kind of crazy. Um, he's like, they'll, they'll loan if you're more in the suburbs, but in the city, they won't. And I was like, what? That, that's crazy. And then I don't know, but I don't put it past it because I was looking. Um, somebody sent me something last night. Uh, Charles Schwab's now going to start uh, basically charging customers six ninety five. If you want to buy an OTC stock. So, yeah. So, I mean, sometimes, you know, uh, some of these organizations, big organizations do some stuff that makes you makes you question things. Right. And I was like, Charles Schwab's really going to charge six ninety five for buying an OTC stock. Obviously, that's not great news for OTC stocks. Right. I mean, imagine if also Robinhood starts doing that fidelity and and everybody. Um, So I don't know if you you have seen any of that, Kevin, or not. But that was kind of like, wow, really, they're going to do that. No, um, just, it doesn't surprise me. I mean, they got to try to figure out how they can make money with all the zero dollar, <laughs> zero dollar trades. And and Robinhood doesn't do OTC, so like, what are you gonna do? You know, less competition. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, no, true, true, one hundred percent. But so, so Kevin, I mean, you you can't, you're not enthused to buy any of the small caps, huh? You know, what can I do to sell you on these small caps? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I, I'm not opposed. Uh, I think I'm, I'm, I'm the big difficulty for me is, uh, how well are these companies going to continue to grow? Like Corsair, it's a slower growth company, 
but it doesn't deserve a, a one PE, right? Let's let's be clear about that. Like it doesn't. That's it's so low. You're right. Uh, Voyager, uh, you know, I I still have some concerns about <laughs> how how uh, how some of their execution is on their app. They, but that's they still have your money, right, Kevin? <laughs> yeah. So uh, actually, um, the CEO was very kind. Uh, reached out to me on Twitter, bumped my limit to two fifty k. Uh, then I tried doing a transfer and it's like, uh, I, so I did a transfer 250 K and it's like, sorry, you're limited to 250 K. I'm like, it is. <laughs> so I'm like, mm. fine. 249 didn't work. Okay. I'm like 200 didn't work. And it, it would literally update the limit to whatever number I put in. So it, it, I'd be like, let's transfer 200 K and it'd be like, sorry, you've exceeded your limit of 200 K. It's <laughs> just like, okay. The, the, some of the software stuff kills me a little bit, but I'll put that one aside. Corsair, I'm interested. Uh, Honest, I'm interested. Uh, uh, tattooed, that's a maybe. May, especially as it continues to sell off, it's a maybe. Smile Direct, I do think has uh, is some larger risk. So of the bat, the batch that you mentioned there, definitely uh, riskier. Uh, but yeah, I would I'd consider looking at some of these, especially once I think we hit, and I'd lump in there probably Redfin, Exbi. Uh, you know, maybe shift technology. What's EXPI? What, which one's that, uh, Kevin? I'm oh, familiar yeah, with that's that. EXP real estate. It's uh, basically um, think of it like a Keller Williams, except more like metaverse virtual brokerage. Uh, you know, everybody put on your mm. headset and we'll do real estate virtually kind of thing. So mm. I'd consider two more, these, but huh? yeah, two, two more stocks. I want to mention real quick to you, Kevin. Um, yeah. Baba and Beyond Meat. Any interest in either of those? Mm. Baba hits another yeah. fifty-two week low today. Beyond Meat, another fifty-two week low today. I, honestly, the the way I would play all of these, this whole basket, and and I know you're not the biggest fan of this, uh, but I probably would try to chart it. Uh, to, to time some form of a rebound. There's always this risk, though, that you get a little rebound and you're like, this is it. And then it just continues going down anyway. But mm -hmm. some sort of broader base support where all of a sudden I'm looking and I'm like, hmm, Honest is up 2% today. Corsair's up 2%. Tattoo Chef's up 3 Beyond's up 3 Baba's up 3 or whatever. And then I, I see that for like a week, right? And, and maybe I miss out on the first... 10 or 12%. But then you look at the macro and you're like, okay, we don't have a lot of negative catalysts on the horizon. Looks like these smaller caps are kind of rotating back. Maybe that'd be the time to strike because I, I don't, I think it's gotten to this point where I don't think it's necessarily all of these individual companies that are just all of a sudden sucking. It's not like all of a sudden at the beginning of the year, these companies were all doing so great. And all of a sudden, all the managers are like, see ya, go on a vacation and the companies are falling apart, right? Like, I don't think anything's fundamentally changed at these companies. So uh, even yeah. DraftKings, somebody said in the comments, absolutely, DraftKings, Palantir, right? Same thing. I don't think things have fundamentally changed. I think the premium that the market is willing to afford these companies has fallen substantially. And I kind of think it's oversold, but I just don't know where that bottom is. So that's, that's more what so, I'm looking at. But yeah, if I were to yeah. jump into these, I'd be looking for ones that I thought would at least have uh, ideally 15 plus percent annual compounded growth, uh, ideally making money. 
and uh, in, in, in showing some form of a sign of, of reversal. I think Corsair, out of all of these, I don't know if they're at 15%, but I'll, I'll check. I think that's probably, out of all of these, the safest bet. No guarantees. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, no, I, I agree with that 100%. Now, something you just mentioned, I also want to ask your opinion on another stock in just a moment, but something you just mentioned drives people nuts, Okay. People hate on Jim Cramer for this a lot and just a lot of the CNBC, what they call talking heads, right? Is you just mentioned, okay, let's say some of these stocks bounce back and I miss the top 10 or the first 10 or 12% or whatever. And I look out there and then I'm like, okay, and I start buying, right? A lot of people get so frustrated with folks that are on CNBC because they'll be like, don't buy, don't buy, don't buy, right? And then all of a sudden, these stocks go up 5, 10, 15%. And then all of a sudden, they're like, okay, I started buying, buy, buy, buy. And people are like, oh, now you say buy after it's already gone up 10, 15%. So that does, if you could talk for a moment about that, because that frustrates yeah. a lot of people, including myself yeah. back in the day when I used to watch a ton of CMC. I'm like, oh, now they say buy when, when it's already up 10, 15%. Yeah. Well, because here's the thing, mm-hmm. and, and you've actually said this yourself, Jeremy, I'm not in the stock market to make 10%. I want to make. <laughs> A 2x, I want a 3x, I want a 4x. So, you know, all the, the, look, the people, quite frankly, and pardon my French, bitching about CNBC going, oh, now you tell me to buy and it's up 10%. These are all the small thinkers who, who really aren't investing in the stock market for the right reason. It's like, you know, I, I uh, uh, you know, when we were starting this live stream, when we queued up this live stream, uh, some morons like, uh, oh, Kevin hates ta- or hates Lucid because he's a Tesla bull. And I'm like, that is like the furthest thing from the truth. I like Lucid. I think it's going to be the first all-American play uh, for, for EVs. I think it's going to beat e- uh, um, uh, Rivian by far to, to mass production numbers. I can't wait for their partnership on, on autonomy. Heck, maybe they'll even partner with Apple. So me hating Lucid is the furthest thing from the truth. But it's the short-sightedness of of uh, commenters or people watching CNBC or whatever that gets so narrow focused. You're like, but you, well, you, why are you shorting it? And why did you buy a put on it? Because they're going to miss their freaking delivery numbers and they're going to get destroyed. They're going to get reamed. That's a bet I'm making. Mm-hmm. Does that mean I dislike the stock? No, not at all. I like lucid, but I'm not going to buy them now. I think they're going to plummet. Uh, on on bad delivery numbers. I could be wrong. I actually don't have any puts against them right now. I don't have anything uh, in Lucid right now and I've made money off Lucid. But all of this is sort of a longer way of explaining or answering your question that if somebody's complaining about 10% here or there, they're not in the market for the right reason. Also, Jeremy, I wonder if a lot of that delay is due to the fact that whenever Jim Cramer or these talking heads get on CNBC or CNN or whatever, they were using such a different medium than we are on YouTube that by the time that information reaches those people, it's like they've already sold out. They've gone out. Whereas YouTube affords us that ability to communicate with our audience on the dime. Like the moment something happens, you're in, you're out. Whereas with TV, it's like it's such a slower medium. So it, it, it makes them maybe yeah. look like, I don't know, flip floppers or whatever it is. And it's just like, I don't know. Yeah. Well, I mean, folks only have so much time to watch stuff, right? Or pay attention. And so I think it's easier if you're very, very consistent about a few things. So, you know, like like with me, I talk about a few stocks. I don't talk about 
you know, 99% of stocks because most of those stocks I don't have any clue about. I'm very consistent. And when my stocks are doing bad, you can come laugh at me. And everybody knows I own certain stocks, right? And when they're doing great, I, I reap the benefits of that, right? But when you're throwing out so many opinions on so many stocks, and I think, Kevin, I think you probably run into this because you do your live streams and whatnot, where you're throwing a lot of opinions out. Jim Cramer is somebody that always has an opinion on a stock. And, and it's not his fault because they're always asking him, hey, Jim, what about this stock? What about this stock? Yeah. So he has to have... And he can't just be like, I don't know. I don't know. So he throws out so many opinions on so many stocks all the time because he's you know, basically forced into that, right? That yeah. people are like, wait a minute. you know, They can't keep track of it all. And they're like, wait, you said I watched a video with you a month ago. You said sell that stock and it was the worst stock. Now you're talking about buying it. And oh, you were telling everybody to load up on that stock two months ago. And now you're like, oh, sell that with a, a 35% loss. What's going on with you, right? So I think- I'll, I'll if you're really I will consistent. say the Tesla thing, he, he called out so wrong. Do you guys remember that Tesla call? That was probably yeah. his worst public one. Yeah. And, and then he jumped on the bandwagon like much of CNBC did. Right. But people people are like, well, you jumped on it after it already gone up, you know, dot, 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 dot. So that's what drives people nuts. I like, you know, they, they feel like people are flip flopping a little bit. And I think, uh, you know, Kevin, I think you. You, you try to do your best in, in this situation, but you're always commenting on so many different things in the market because people expect that out of you, right? If a stock drops big, you, you almost are expected to have some commentary. And so that must, you know, that's a, I, I respect you because that's a, that's a hard thing to do, man, to have an opinion on or almost have an opinion on almost everything, right? That, that, that's I feel like tough. Kevin and most of the time gets it right too. I feel like, I don't know. I don't follow his like track record super close, but I, I'm pretty sure like most of the stuff Kevin calls out has been pretty spot on oh, i mean and maybe that's because of the amount of volume that that kramer does versus even even kevin t i mean he covers a lot more stocks but i feel like it's still manageable given his brain capacity <laughs> whereas jim kramer's like let me just do all of it i i do wonder if kramer you know because he always has to have an answer uh i think he's just got a massive team that uh, scripts out his content for the day. You know, Kramer reviews it and talks with the people. Oh, okay, we're going to talk about this stock today. Oh, I remember talking to that CEO. He's a great guy. You, you yeah. know, like, uh, and, and it's kind of, like you say, he can't answer the phone. And these are all pre-recorded anyway. He knows what stock he's going to get asked about. But he can't get asked about a stock and not say anything. I actually, in, in my course member live stream, people ask me about tickers all the time. And I'm like, I have no idea what that is. And I'm not even going to comment on it. Uh, like, if you want to give me a thesis, give me a thesis. Like somebody gave me a thesis. I, th I don't remember which one. I think it was IMMR or something like that. Some like haptic play or something like that. Somebody's like, hey, what do you think about this? Here's my thesis on it. And then I can actually look at the SEC documents. And I'm like, ah, oh, I don't know. It looks like they had a one-time big quarter. They're expecting the next two quarters not to be good. Uh, they're saying it themselves. The stock market's probably going to punish them. I wouldn't buy thing goes down and not immediately after that, like a couple weeks later. So I don't want anybody to think like I made it to go down, but uh, point is like it to actually know the stocks. It, you have to read the sec docs. I can't just look at a ticker and go, Oh yeah, I start whipping out crap about it really bad. That's when you become a flip-flop, right? I agree completely. Yeah. No, that that's fair, Kevin. And, and and you said you look at all your SEC reports and listen to your conference calls on the Hungry Bull app. You said that, right? So I think I think I heard that. I appreciate that, Kevin. Thank you for that. So shout out to the no, Hungry Bull. No, but in all seriousness, you know, um, and, and I always get hate for talking about the same ten stocks all the time. People are like you talk about the same stocks all the time, and it's like, 
Well, that's what I'm passionate about. And that's, you know, I can't just throw out a million opinions about a million stocks. And then if I'm talking about some stock I'm not even passionate about, do people really want that? Do you really want me to talk about some stock I care less about? You know, and, and so that, that's kind of the, you have to, either way, if you have an opinion about anything, or excuse me, if you have an opinion about every stock, you're going you're gonna to wind yourself up into some deep stuff, right? Because you're going to have some negative opinions or positive opinions that just aren't there. And then if you, you choose to talk about, let's say, 10 or 15 stocks that you know really well on a high level, then you get it. Well, you talk about the same stocks all the time. So no matter what, you kind of you get it from, from one angle or another. That's how I Well, it's it. interesting, like, when you, when, Jeremy, when you throw that into the mix with YouTube, it's like if you want growth fast as far as like i don't know from subscribers and views yeah you have to have variety but if you want to do this game long term you kind of have to stick with what you know that's why like i mean if people are hating on you for 10 stocks people must like despise me for like all i'm talking about is vti bitcoin ethereum and like that's pretty much it so it's like yeah. if you want to do this long term you kind of have to stay consistent with your messaging and if you deviate from that then it's like well dude like i, I don't know i can't keep up with you i'm not going to watch your channel a hundred percent. Yeah. A hundred percent on that. So, uh, so Kevin, are you, are you still building cash actively right now? Or, I mean, you, you said you spend about 1% cash today, but you know, let's say the market goes up or let's say the market bounces back tomorrow. Like, you know, yep. basically brings back whatever we lost today. Are you, are you looking to cash more or are you kind of just, you know, wh wh what's your views on that? Uh, no, uh, well, uh, it depends. Uh, I've considered, Yesterday, I actually, I think it was yesterday. Yesterday, I actually dumped, uh, I liquidated another like $1.4 million. Like I, I bumped my cash to the highest level I've been at. I think I'm at, actually, I probably liquidated even more than that. Um, I think I'm sitting at somewhere like 19% cash right now. It's, it's, it, and I, I did buy a little bit of Bitcoin. Had I not bought that Bitcoin, I'd probably be closer to like 22% cash. So I've actually still been, been building that. And, uh, you know, it's, it's really me trying to figure out, okay, what, what is going on in the market and trying to figure mm -hmm. out where, where do I go? Because while, while you guys were talking, I just wrote down, uh, lemonade beyond meat, smile, direct tattooed chef. All four of those have something very interesting in common. Tattooed chef, smile, direct beyond meat and lemonade have right now, no path to profitability, at least no forecasted path. That's not to say they won't become profitable, but they're all losing money right now. Uh, of course, and, and these guys are all getting destroyed in the market right now. Voyager Dig is, is an uncertainty. That's going to depend on what the crypto market does a lot more. Baba is, is, a, is actually very profitable, but is a, is a Chinese just red flag right now. Uh, so that's a totally different issue. So I feel like Voyager Dig and Baba are just a different issue. Uh, Honest Company is expected to be profitable in 2024, but until then is losing money. And Corsair maybe brings seven to eight percent to the bottom line with like nine to thirteen percent growth. So it's under that kind of fifteen percent. I was thinking it was. I, I just looked all this up pretty quickly. And and so I'm wondering, and I want to ask you guys about this: is is this market just trying to focus right now on where's the profit? Because what happens if we get either uh, deflation where prices go down, or we continue to get cost based inflation? Both of those things hurt margins, uh, ironically, right? So input costs going up, having more inflation hurts profit margins. And if we have deflation and, and competitive prices go down, like what you could sell something for, then margins also get compressed. So you have different, two different forms of margin compression. And so I wonder if the market is like, where's margin the highest? 
And and then I look and I'm like, my goodness, Apple, Etsy, Enphase, uh, Tesla, at least gross, not net yet, but the gross auto margins relative to the auto industry. It's, it's almost like the market's just like putting a highlighter through high margin stocks right now. And I want to see what you guys think about that. Yeah. That's 100%. Yeah, I was going to say, I, I definitely believe that. And uh, right now, the market doesn't want the unprofitable companies right now, right? The key, the key word is right now, because that, that can flip yeah. quick, right? Last year at this time, everybody wanted unprofitable companies. It didn't matter. It was just pumped to the moon. Right now, yeah, if you're unprofitable, you're, you're just being devastated. You know, another stock we haven't talked about, Kevin, I call it uh, Lemonade's cousin, is TDoc, Teladoc. That was 12 oh. cents away from going under $100 a share today after reaching a high of 308 earlier this year. So that's another one of those stocks that, man, Teladoc has such a bullish future, but the stock mm. price just goes down. day New 52-week low. And when does Teladoc get profitable? Shoot, I don't 2024, know. Uh, with an estimate of 0.62, uh, and then the year after, 1.5. So that's... Um, you know, if we divided that, divided by 0.62, that'd be a forward PE of 162 for 2024. And for 2025, it's about a 67. So it's it's up there, uh, not profitable for the next three years, but that one's got some growth to it, right? Uh, you know, yeah. substantial growth this year. And then you're probably going to be in the mid-20s. But the weird thing, just to throw it in the mix here is, you know, look at like PayPal. They also have growth in the mid-20s uh, and they also have mm -hmm. margin, but they're plummeting. And this yeah. is like, Andre, is, is PayPal plummeting because people think blockchain's going to take over, you know, or both of you, you know? Well, I don't know. How much are they in, in crypto right now? I know they're transitioning and they, they, they want a bigger crypto presence, but maybe that's partly some something to do with that since crypto is mm -hmm. going down. So they're like, I don't know, PayPal's, you know, associated with crypto too. I know they want to make that a big part of their business model. So I'm sure that has some small part to, to that. Also, Kevin, where are you looking at the data for the for the expected future um, profitability? Bloomberg Terminal. Nah, gosh. Sorry. Uh, do you have that, Jeremy? No, sir. I, not that thing not, is not sophisticated so enough for something like that. Dude, that thing <laughs> is so expensive. Oh, my God. Uh, I'll so, look about revenues from PayPal, from crypto. I think, if anything, it's going to be very nominal, like Square loses yeah. money uh, from oh. processing this stuff. But I, I more mean, like, is it possible that there's part of this market that's like, hey, uh, fintech's about to get destroyed by blockchain. <laughs> like, blockchain's going to take over. You think the market's that sophisticated on the whole no. that it knows that? Think so? no I don't way. think so, but some people no are saying it. <laughs> no, no way. way. Yeah. No way. So, yeah, I mean, the, the market's barely caught up to the whole inflation thing, right? And, yeah. and meanwhile, there's a possibility we could go into deflation next year. Like, you know, that, that'll be interesting to see how the market plays that. But so another factor I don't think a lot of people think about here, and I think it's important that, that people should think about, is how many companies went public last year? I believe it was the biggest year for companies going public that we've seen any time in modern history, Right. And so when you have all these new companies come to the public market in 2020 and in the back half of obvious or excuse me, the front half here of 2021, you have so many companies vying for attention and so many companies trying to fight for a shareholder base. And I think a, another thing that a, a, a lot of those companies have that we went through a lot of these small caps that are getting decimated right now. A lot of them have gone public in the in the past one to two years. And so they're trying to find their shareholder bases. Meanwhile, there's only so many funds and, and shareholders that are that are looking at you. Right. So it's like imagine we had 
you know, uh, we, there's a hundred cars behind us and it's like, we can pick any one of those hundred cars. Geez, it's going to be hard for one of those cars to get our attention, right? Because we're looking at a hundred different ones. And that's what I feel like. I think it was something like 400 plus companies went to the public markets just in the United States last year. That's yeah. such a large number that now we have so many, you know, Kevin, if, if you're looking to buy stocks, you have so many options and there's only going to be so many of those stocks you actually end up buying, right? Because there's just yeah. so many dang options. So I think that's a factor we, we obviously got to think about. A lot of these companies have a lot of trouble in their first one to two years finding that shareholder base. Then come year three, they really start to you know find that the long-term holders have started to really buy in in a major way. And you can build up that shareholder base, especially if you have an exciting future. So I think that's, a, I think that's another factor people don't really think about. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, but um, for what it's worth, you've got 2019. I just looked it up and I'm trying to find out if they're including SPACs in this. Uh, I'm having actually trouble finding because SPACs technically IPO as uh, as the blank check company, but that could have IPO'd, you know, a year or whatever ago. But I'm trying to see if those are included. Maybe I should figure that out first. But anyway, we, oh, OK. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the blank check company is counted as an IPO. So, for example, Matterport is MTTR. Their IPO was counted in 2020, but their merger was in February of this year. So, okay. So, SPACs are going to be a part of this as the blank check company, which actually does mean that there are blank check companies that have not merged yet, but have IPO'd. So, they're part of this statistic. So, it's possible that that uh, like blank check companies that don't have an identified company yet are part of this. But with that asterisk clarified, in 2019, there were uh, 232 IPOs, which was less than what we had in 2018 of 255. But it shows you, okay, so around the mid-200s, 2018, 2019. 2020, there were 480, like Jeremy said, above 400. And in 2021, there were 992. Whoa. That's more than double. That's insane. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so that's where you get into this problem. It's a big problem where, you know, these fund managers, high net worth individuals are getting pitched so many stocks all at the same time. And it's like, well, why do I have to buy Corsair instead of buying, you know, Matterport? Why do I have to buy Matterport instead of buying Tattoo Chef? Or why do I have to buy Tattoo Chef instead of buying Clover Health? Or you go through all these companies and it's just, it's almost an overwhelm of options you have out there. And so you yeah. have to work through that. And there's a, at the end of the day, there's a finite amount of money that can go into these stocks, right? And remember, everybody, when it comes to an investment, they always look at it from the skeptical side first. It's like, well, why is Corsair better than this other company? What's going to happen to their margins over time? So you get all these angles and, and, you know, eventually you find that shareholder base, but it takes time. And when you have that many options, it, it's tough sledding. Don't, don't, for you like, don't, you, don't you feel like that's a, that's a compelling reason to be careful of smaller caps right now, since there, there's just so many of them and they're not getting that capital. So it's like, I don't well, know. I, I think a lot of it's in the past now. You know, like I said, I think uh, we could get definitely more tax loss harvesting going this year. But I think a lot of that's in the past now. I think there's uh, I think there's more risk to the upside than downside in many of these stocks. But I, like I said, we talked about earlier, it's a case by case basis. Um, but I think a lot of these companies will find their long term shareholder bases who understand these companies on a high level and understand why this company is going to get to this revenue and this net income over time. Well, I'm just saying if you have, let's say, take, let's give an extreme example. If there's only 10 companies going public that year. 
Um, yep. Don't you have? Don't you think that they have a much higher chance of success, considering that there's more money that can be distributed to them as opposed to, let's say, 900 of them, which are getting less money. Therefore, they're either going to take longer to mature, or they might just, like you said, just become penny stocks that become ir irrelevant. Yeah, but what what I also think is we're going to see happen here, Andre, is because there's been such devastation with so many of these stocks and there's not really a huge appetite now for new public companies. Look what just happened to Robinhood. Look even what happened to Coinbase after they IPO, right? There's not that big appetite. So what I think can happen in 22 and 23 is actually we start to see a very small amount of companies actually come to the public markets because folks are looking at it and they're like, man, we just can't raise that capital we used to be able to raise. There's not that much interest. And look at all these other companies that are down, you know, ridiculous amounts since when they went public. So all of a sudden you get in this, this, this opportunity where, okay, now this money has to go somewhere else. So it goes into a lot of these companies that went public in 2020 and 2021. So that's what I think is going to probably play out in a big way over the next couple of years. Cause there's just, there's not that really that big appetite. And I don't know, even know who do we have going public big in the next year or two. I think there's going to be a lack of companies that even look to explore the, the, the opportunity to go public. Cause I think a lot of these companies already did. Epic Games. So. <laughs> yeah. It just yeah. seems like that yeah. that one's going to give Unity a run for their money. But that's really a topic Ooh. for a different video. <laughs> okay. Yeah. yeah, Unity, that's one of Kathy Wood's top 10 uh, stocks in, in the main ARC fund, right, Kevin? It's one of her big stocks. <laughs> I don't know how okay. big it is. <laughs> uh, yeah. I do want to ask you guys, though, is it possible – that, uh, you know, because I was listening to both of you and I was thinking to myself, is it possible that maybe what you want, if you want to go for smaller cap, do you potentially look for small caps or smaller stocks that are in the S&P 500? So you have a little bit of that wind at your back or, or potentially beaten up stocks that are in that. So that Why way not? you um, you have at least a, a little bit more of a highlighter through your name. Why not the yeah. Russell 2000 index, right? Is that that's a small cap one? Is Generally speaking, but what Kevin's saying is basically just sifting through the S&P 500 and looking for some of the smaller, the smallest caps of the S&P 500. The danger with that game is they're always kicking stocks out of the S&P 500 yeah. to bring in bigger companies. So next thing you yeah. know, you're, you're going to be kicked out of the S&P 500. It's like, oh, okay. No, but this I'm confused. Why don't you guys just play the Russell 2000 then if that's if you want to play small caps and well, just get everything? Because the here, like, I feel like people are very um, – uh, like the mass vast majority of investors very much just throw their money where things did well the last year. The mm -hmm. S&P, I think, uh, returned like 16 percent last year. This year it's returning like 24 percent. Russell's up like 13 uh, this year. Mm -hmm. The S&P is just like consistently like kicking butt, kicking butt, you know. So I, I think that would be the, the only rationale there. And, and I'm just thinking like, you know, company, I wonder, I, I don't know how this company did, but I just quickly scrolled through and I'm like, I wonder how a company like Ecolab's doing. You know, they're like the 200th on, uh, uh, see, they're pretty much flat. So it makes you wonder, like, is that a smaller company? Well, no, it's $63 billion. I don't know. I guess it would take a little bit more hunting <laughs> to go through. Uh, can't pick one on the fly, but um, yeah. I don't know. Jeremy, weren't you into VeriSign? That one's in there. Uh, negative. No, I'm uh, not sure about that one. I just sent oh, you Oh, you were in Dropbox. Had... Yeah, Dropbox, DDX. And I still do own a Dropbox. But Kevin, I think you should pull that up for the people if you think it's worth it. I just sent it over in the group chat. That shows forward PEs for large caps versus mid caps versus S&P 600 small caps. And what folks will see oh, yeah. there is S&P 600 small caps for forward P is trading 
around the cheapest um, since 2018. And if you go back even further, you have to go back to really like 2011, especially if these small caps fall down to like a 14, 13 range, basically 2011, you have to go back to. Mm. Yeah, end of 18, uh, then 2011. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah, mm. yeah, yeah. Whereas the main S&P is actually like, way 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 up here like 2001 levels <laughs> yeah well that's scary yeah. it's very scary <laughs> it, and it, it begs the question though it begs the question like is it because these larger cap companies are uh are, are the ones um uh who have the greatest potential for massive earnings coming up because remember this is uh, this is the P.E. ratio. So it's the price you're paying for earnings. If earnings are potentially lower now because of whether it's inflationary pressures or, you know, what's going to the bottom lines, maybe a little bit lower uh, or, or whatever. Is it possible the market's thinking, hey, we think that uh, the earnings are going to be even bigger in five years when some of those inflationary pressures go away. And, and when those inflationary pressures go away, that means bottom line earnings go up which means that P.E. ratio actually comes back down, uh, which, which you could then also say over here on the small cap side, the flip argument might be, hmm, are there more companies here today compared to ever before that are at greater risk of bankruptcy because we're consolidating into the big companies? Just this sort of a little counter This is why I just like, I don't even bother with trying to pick it out because you could show two brilliant investors two of the exact same data points and they'll have two different conclusions about it. Where, yeah, true. What's the psychology going into the future, like like you just said? It's just it's pointless, man. I don't know. I don't I don't get into it. <laughs> I think yeah. I'm just gonna buy VTI tomorrow. <laughs> Please. <laughs> I said I'm retiring and I'm buying VTI. <laughs> yeah. But but one thing is we know factually the market's trading very rich for large caps and the market's trading very, very cheap for small caps. That's something we do know. We, we can debate about whether that some of that large cap money is going to flow over to small caps and the small caps are going to pump because some money, yeah. let's say, sells out or doesn't go into large caps. But we do know for sure, factually, it's trading rich for large caps and small caps yeah. are trading extremely cheap based upon you you know, historical normals. Jeremy, do you think the market is sophisticated enough to understand exactly what you just showed, like that data point, and they can say like, oh, that means that there's a bigger opportunity in the Russell 2000 or whatever, you know, the, the small caps. I don't know, man. I just yeah. feel like there's so much money in index funds and like the S&P 500 that it's, it doesn't matter what the, what it is. Yeah. It's people are going to put money into that, it. That, that's something a lot of fund managers will look at. A lot of hedge fund managers look at data like we just pulled up there, right? And so a lot of them are going to end up saying, hey, man, you know, uh, small caps are getting insanely cheap. A lot of them probably don't want to get in during December because of tax loss harvesting. And I think, you know, we got a lot more of that probably still to work through unless everybody, every single person's tax loss harvested, which I doubt has happened. Because remember, in most of these stocks, almost every single person's lost money, right? If you bought Teladoc at any point in the last year, you were down and you're down a ton. If you bought Corsair at any point in the last year, you're down and you're down a ton. We could go through a million stocks like that, right? So I think a lot of fund managers are probably looking at this and they're like, man, I need to rotate some money, but I'm not going to rotate until we, we kind of bottom here, like Kevin was even talking about earlier, right? Then I'll start rotating from an apple that has probably limited upside, right? And that's the way a lot of people will view it, at least, because it's pumped so, so hard that the P's, you know, much higher than it usually trades at the 4P, everything. 
And then they start to slowly rotate some of that to small caps where the real opportunity is. It's just you can't necessarily time it out on exactly when that money flows through. We just know it's going to likely flow through, right? It's just a matter of time. A lot of that money will probably go into crypto next year, though, just be, just on the, I guess, the demand from this year. I feel like a, I mean, I feel like at the end of the year, there will be some crypto sell-off, which is why I'm, I'm hoping we'll go, you know, like closer to 30000 by year end. And I I suspect I could be wrong, but that money will flow back into crypto. Yeah, I mean, my my two cents on this is I, I think there's some funds that that can't even look at crypto, right? They they're not yeah. allowed to, so right. they're not going to. Some funds aren't that interested. Some funds will look at it and they're like, man, Bitcoin is still really really dang high, you know, based upon anything it's been at, right? So. I don't know. I mean, I think at the end of the day, the, the folks that are really bullish on Bitcoin are going to continue to be bullish on it. And I think the long term holders are probably going to continue to hold. I, I mean, I don't see why anybody would sell out. But so that that's a really hard one for me to predict, you know, what where the money flows as far as Bitcoin or Ethereum or things like that. I can tell you Ethereum has a lot more hype behind it than Bitcoin does. There's just a lot more excitement there than my yeah. opinion. Bitcoin, people are looking and they're like, well, it's probably going to go up over time because just more people are going to buy in and want to hold it. And institutions and companies right ethereum there's like this whole bullish case around smart contracts and everything else which is fascinating because bitcoin's price depends on people's demand and 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 for people wanting to buy it whereas ethereum gosh i was reading this earlier today where i think what was it like there's only 20 percent of circulating ethereum and supply that's actually on exchanges the others are locked up some smart contracts are in DeFi, so like the the utility aspect of of Ethereum just inevitably drives the price higher because it's being locked away into new, you know, new business ideas, new ventures. Whereas Bitcoin is just kind of like dependent on people wanting to hedge their, you know, money against inflation. So I, I agree with you in the sense that Ethereum is a better play, which is why I've been just DCAing so much into it. Yeah, I, I remember we've it's talked many times on this. It's just getting squeezed upwards. Like this utility is just squeezing the price higher. Yeah, I remember we've talked about it many times on this, Andre. And you've said you're more bullish on Ethereum than you are Bitcoin. Not to say you're not bullish on Bitcoin, obviously, yeah. but you've said you're more bullish on Ethereum. So for sure. Yep. Now, um, yeah. So before we run here, guys, uh, what what moves you making out there? Like Kevin, stocks tank again tomorrow. You making any moves out there? what's going on? Yeah. I mean, I kind of want to look at what futures are doing. Uh, yeah. I mean, probably I'll do a little bit of nibbling. I think my favorite long-term stocks are just kind of expensive. Uh, a firm is starting to get a little cheaper and buy now pay later is blowing up. I think, you know, PayPal just released a thing. Uh, I saw this, uh, that uh, their use of PayPal buy now pay later skyrocketed 400% on black Friday. Uh, I think you're going to see buy now, pay later get really, really hot, especially next year. Uh, I, and let me make this very clear. You don't want to be in buy now, pay later when the market's going to crash because it's all going to be just like like the buy now, pay later platforms are not going to get their money back. <laughs> it's going to be ugly, right? They're going to be the first people, people stop or first businesses that stop getting paid. <laughs> Excuse me. But until that point. I think the buy now, pay later usage is going to continue to skyrocket, especially as we have less stimulus uh, stimulus in the economy. Potentially, markets trade a little bit more sideways. People feel the wealth effect kind of slowing down a little bit. And, uh, you know, buy now, pay later, probably a firm, man. 
And then Kevin, I, I remember you mentioned in one of your videos about real estate recently, how you saw people pulling equity out of real estate. And you said that mm. that could be a potential catalyst for, for a downside on real estate. So imagine combining that people taking out HELOCs and then putting that into the buy now, pay later aspect of, of how uh -huh. they live. That'd yeah. Be crazy. yeah. 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 I mean, look, uh, anytime you start seeing debt going to ridiculous levels, it's a red flag. Uh, margin is at all time high in stocks. Oh, wait, I think we also just got a new FINRA reporting of margin. I'll look at that really quick. Mm. But as of uh, last month, margin debt was at all time highs. We were like almost a trillion dollars. It was like 992 or something or 900 something. Uh, let's see. Um, oh, November. Okay, here we go. 2021, October. Yeah. Okay. So, so August was 911 billion. September was 903 billion. October. 935. So again, a new all-time record high for the amount of margin debt people have. Uh, you know, the, the free cash level that people have isn't going up as fast as their debt is going up, according to FINRA. Uh, then, then if people are taking out more debt on their real estate, they're taking out more debt on their crypto or whatever, of course, you're going to have a huge debt bubble. Uh, and that, that does make me nervous. Yes. Yeah. And on that note. <laughs> yeah. Hey, I, I want to thank everybody for joining us here today. Don't forget to smash before you leave and, and hit that subscribe button. It's absolutely free to do so. We do this show every Tuesday. Usually Graham is with us. We miss him today. Hopefully he's back next week. And um, other than that, guys, thanks so much for joining us. This was a lot of fun and uh, we'll do it again next week. Hopefully my internet's better next week. Sorry about the tech issues. <laughs> You're good, man. All right. We'll see you all. Have a good one.